Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton, and this is a program for dealing with our interior lives. And I know when it comes to our children that we actually feel so emotional when it appears that they're suffering. One of the biggest complaints I hear from our listeners is, I don't know how to deal with my child, especially since COVID. Their behavior is explosive, both at school and at home. They're having tantrums that I cannot control anymore. Please help. We have Dr. Stephen Whiteside from the Mayo Clinic here today to help with that particular topic. And it's great to see you again, Stephen. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you, Sheila? Good. Did you hear this same thing that there was an increase in these kind of behaviors post-COVID? Yes, I would even add to that. I, I would say that the increase that we saw started during COVID. You know, as you know, I specialize in anxiety and OCD, and yeah. those kids were less likely to come in because they were quarantined. So the kids with social anxiety or separation anxiety or general worries were at home and avoiding the world and didn't have to face the things they were nervous about. But on the other hand, parents and kids were cooped up together and tempers were flaring and people were getting antsy. Yeah. So the anger outbursts, the difficulties enforcing general expectations around sleep and schedule and doing online schooling really started going through the roof. And we saw a lot of those kids beginning during COVID. I know it's difficult to speak about explosive behavior across the board because at every developmental stage, it's going to appear different, right? So can you talk about some general themes around explosive behavior that characterize it? Yeah. So explosive behavior is that's sort of a general term that you know, it's very descriptive um, in terms of what we are dealing with as, as parents. I, I would say there's probably two main categories within there that we want to separate. One is anger outbursts and defiance. So specifically getting, being resistant, oppositional, getting very angry when, being, when kids are asked to do something they don't particularly want to do. And then secondly, I would describe as more like emotional outbursts. So it can include not wanting to do what you're asked, but also more becoming just frustrated when things are not working well or becoming very sad or anxious. And then that leads to big emotional outbursts or anger because of that. And they're similar and we handle them in similar ways, but it, it can be helpful to kind of separate those two. If we talk first about defiance, I think that people see defiance in kids with anxiety when you're trying to move to a new activity, right? That those transitions can be really difficult. How do you help move a child through the daily activities that we have to do as humans without having these kind of tantrum, explosive, defiant behaviors? The approach that we take for uh, helping kids really has three steps. You know, they're all, they're pretty straightforward. They're pretty familiar, but they're really difficult to do well and consistently. And those steps are, you know, first having clear and reasonable expectations for what you're asking of your child. If you ask them to do something that they're not ready for, that they can't do, that they don't understand, they're not going to do it. And nothing we do is going to help us be successful. Secondly, sometimes kids aren't that motivated to do things that we ask them for. So the second strategy we have as parents is encouraging the behavior that we want them to do through either attention or specific, you know, concrete rewards to increase their motivation. And then the third set of strategies are responding to that anger outburst, the resistance with calm consequences mm -hmm. that teach kids that they made the wrong decision and they need to make a better decision the next time. So first of all, expectations. 
I expect you to come to the dinner table and eat your food. And a kid is defiant about it. And it's clear that they know how to eat the food and they're just being defiant. Help us with an example of, okay, you've made this expectation clear, right? (laughs) Most families love to gather at the dinner table together. What more can you do to assess whether or not this is an appropriate ask of the child? Um, So I think probably the the most likely way that we would be unreasonable with that request would be if a child, you know, if like if before dinner they are like just have free time and, you know, they're on electronics or watching a show or, or playing a video game or doing something and that we in our head, we know dinner's coming up because we're working hard to prepare yeah. it. Then we tell our child dinner's ready come to the table but they're immersed in the video game. And so they experience it as just suddenly I'm being told to stop. Ah. Um, And, you know, if you think about yourself, you're in the middle of working or doing something and someone just tells you to stop immediately, you're going to be irritated. Yes. So one way where that might be unreasonable is that we didn't give them any heads up or any warning that, you know, dinner's going to be ready in 15 minutes. You need to start wrapping that up. Yes. Less likely, but also kind of an important point here is, you know, part of the reasonable expectations is is trying to understand as best we can what our child's dealing with. Let's say our our child uh, has difficulties with eating. So they're, you know, they're concerned about their body image or they're just a very picky eater and mm-hmm. it's always an unpleasant experience. So they're resistant, not because they want to be uncooperative and don't want to be with the family. They just know when they get to the table, they're going to have to do something they don't want to and parents are going to get frustrated. Again, we're not being unreasonable to ask them to eat with us, but we're setting, we're not setting them up for success because we're not appreciating how hard it is for them to come and eat and how unpleasant it is. I, I'm I'm very curious because dinner is one of the most stressful times for a lot of families. I think that's probably why a lot of families eat in their car, you know, with drive-through. But is it an appropriate thing to insist on kids eating everything on their plate and eating everything you prepare? That is a very good question. It depends on the child. So for kids who are generally good eaters, there's not a concern about getting enough nutrition or weight, then it's probably not necessary to require them to eat everything on their plate. But when there are kids who need to make sure that they are eating enough at each meal or getting the right nutrition because they're very picky eaters, then when we set the expectation, this is what you need to eat, we need to make sure that we you follow, follow through. through. Yeah. yeah. And that's probably the, the more important point that and we, we face this all the time as parents. Is this something that I, I would like my child to do or is this something I need my child to do? Mm. If it's something that you would like them to do, you can ask, would you mind cleaning up your room? No, I don't want to. Okay. It's not necessary. I would have preferred it, but I'm not going to go to the mat with consequences and enforcing. But if it's something they need to do, then you need to set up from the beginning, please go clean your room. And if you don't, there's going to be a consequence. Right. Okay. So the second stage of this is, is it assessing whether or not there's a consequence? What was the second stage? The second stage is encouraging good behavior through rewards. Right. Okay. So um, the tantrum has begun. We're still at the dinner table. Is this when you encourage the good behavior through a reward? Like even when the tantrum is going on? So this is probably a good point to acknowledge that it is super easy to talk about these things. So I, so as you know, as we talked about, my main specialty is anxiety and OCD, and that's what I spend most of my time doing. I also do uh, a parent management group for parents whose kids are not cooperating. Yeah. 
Um, and I always try to say from the beginning, it is so easy and it's actually enjoyable for me to talk with you and tell you guys what you should be doing. And it's not that hard for you to sit here and make a plan, but it is very difficult doing this in real life. It's a good thing to keep in mind while we're talking about this. Yes. And the other point uh, is that we go in these in this order of clear and reasonable expectations first, rewards and encouraging good behavior second, and consequences third, simply because that sets us up for success. Mm -hmm. and as we talked about to begin with, if your child doesn't understand or can't do what's asked of them, no rewards and consequences are going to get them to do something they just can't do. Also, consequences are really important, but nobody likes them. Kids certainly don't like them. And we don't like giving them because kids you know, push back. So we would rather not. So if we can do rewards and encourage more good behavior and use consequences less often, they're more effective and we're all happier. And so getting back to the questions about kind of your child's having a tantrum at that point, we've, we've missed the opportunity for rewards. Okay. Um, and the, the rewards are something we want to set up beforehand. Like, you know, if you do this, then this good thing happens. And whether that's yeah. natural, you get to go have some video game time or a more structured, you get a point towards your reward system and it depends on kind of what you the plan you have in place. Yeah. Um, I think one of the most common meltdown scenarios that we get to witness is at the grocery store where a child wants something where they know they're under public scrutiny. The mom is or the father is already stressed. And I always love watching how parents have to deal with this because I understand what a tremendous amount of equanimity it takes to get yourself under control first. And I am sure that that is so difficult when you're talking with parents who are consistently dealing with explosive children that they just run out of steam for it. And at the risk of like continually not to answer questions, one of the things that we say in the, you know, the, the manual we go through and uh, kind of towards the end, we talk about here's some tips for using these strategies outside the home. Step number one is be successful in the home first, because that's hard enough, much less doing it in public where you sometimes are and often feel like you're under the scrutiny of every in judgment of everybody else. And you, yeah. and you don't have the, kind of the, the, the resources that you have to do your rewards and consequences that you do at home. So yes, it is challenging to do it, to manage those behaviors out in public. And the best thing to do is kind of, is have a system in place that's working at home so that when you say to your child out in public, you know, if you stay with me, I'll give you a check mark for a system. And if you don't, we're not going to do a timeout here in the store, but we're going to do one when we get home. Your child believes you because they've seen yeah. you follow through with it over and over again at home. And they're more likely to cooperate now that you're out of the store. That's an amazing thing that the conversation needs to be, what do we need to get at the store? And also what is our behavior going to be? And what are we going to do when we ask for something? And then when you can't have it, what are we going to do? Correct? Like yeah. having to yeah. go through that is really conscious parenting. That's difficult. Yes. I have had so many friends who are now grandparents talk to me about a style of parenting that they find, of course, ridiculous, which is asking the kid their emotional state. So they're having a tantrum and they're like, tell me what it is you're feeling and why is this upsetting you and talk to me about. And, you know, it's a crack up, especially for those boomers, um, not so much for the parents who really do believe in this type of parenting style. Where do you land on it? So I, I, I get probably the best response is that there's a time and place mm. for that type of thing. It, it, it's certainly understandable that, you know, the pendulum of how we do everything, including how we parent, goes back and forth. And one swing of the pendulum is 
focus on being very warm, helping kids get in touch with their feelings and understanding that what they're feeling is leading to their behavior. And then so the other side of that pendulum, I guess, would be swinging too far would be very authoritarian and, and not listening. And, and even and- those who uh, were acclimated to physical violence, it wasn't that long ago that it was common for parents to spank or yank or do whatever to children. Yes, right. Yeah. So the you know the pendulum certainly can go too far in both directions. And yeah. so so I think the answer is the the foundation of changing your child's behavior is warmth and calm. Being mm. warm and calm with your child, not reacting, not showing anger, staying calm. It, it's super hard, but that's the foundation. Giving your child warm attention, doing enjoyable things with your child is super important for the relationship, just so that you and your child are on the same team and want to make the other person happy. You know, part of the encouraging good behavior is carving out what's called special time with younger kids. Don't call it that with teenagers. That's not going to go well. Recharging your batteries so that we're on the same team. We enjoy being a parent and child. I, I hear people say, I don't know if this signals that my kid really needs intervention. Uh, they have so many explosive tirades that I'm wondering if they need help. How do you determine if a child should be seeing you? The answer to that is kind of the same for all mental health problems is if it is distressing and causing problems and you feel like you can't manage it and you want help, that's the time to go get help. And that's the nice thing about psychology, uh, you know, behavioral interventions is, is they're not harmful other than hard work and, you know, and the time and the cost of seeing a therapist. I don't want to minimize that. Behavioral interventions are things that everyone can benefit from, and you're never you're never overshooting. Coming in early when the problem is mild, and, and the therapist's like, well, you don't really need to be here. I see a lot worse. Not yeah. a big deal because the right. therapist gives some pointers, and either you say, oh, yeah, that's the permission I needed to do what I was kind of uncertain about, or you meet a few times just to have support to do those things, and then, you know, there's there's no problem there. I've talked with other behavioral specialists who say, if we could remember that the child is doing the best they can, we'd have a different view around parenting. Do you agree with that? Are children always doing the best they can or are sometimes no. they're giving us a pain no. in the butt? <laughs> no, yeah, no. And Sheila, no, I, I started babbling and didn't get around to answering your question about should we be asking our kids how they feel when they're having a tantrum? And, and yeah. you know, that's the same vein of yeah. kids are doing the best they can. The general principle of behavioral interventions is that your attention as a parent is super powerful. If your child is doing something and you pay attention to them by talking to them, asking them questions, looking at them, they will probably do that thing again because it worked to get your attention. If your child is yelling and crying and demanding and you are calmly and warmly saying, you know, how are you feeling? Oh, it sounds like, looks like you're really angry and you're doing that in a warm way. They're going to keep yelling and screaming because they're upset. They don't like the way things are. They want you to fix it. And if you are sitting there talking to them, they're getting your attention to try to fix it. And so they'll keep doing whatever they're doing. Wow. I guess it's not probably out of the box for you to raise your voice and say, I'm not happy about this, to show your, it's not a warm tone when you're dealing with a kid who's at that stage, correct? So we don't, yes, we don't want to use a warm, loving parent, uh, parenting tone. Right. Uh, on the other hand, we don't want to yell because huh. the thing with yelling is that it works. So you yell and uh, your child kind of snaps and, oh, man, they're really angry. I better stop this. 
Yeah. But then the next time they push it a little bit more. So you have to yell a little bit louder uh. to get their attention. And then that cycle, it, it, they're, they're very, the same cycle works with kids is that you say, no, they have a little bit of a tantrum. You give them attention by arguing back or you give in because life is busy and I can't deal with this right now. And then they learn that it works. And then the next time you resist, but then they yell louder and have more of an explosive outburst. And then you give in or they undo yeah. the parenting. And it works the same thing with, with you. If you yell and it works, you have to yell louder the next time. And that's how things go from being pretty within the normal range and typical to being explosive. Not because there's anything wrong with anybody. It's just that you both have learned from the mm -hmm. other kids and parents to get what I need. I have to get real angry, real mm -hmm. loud, real fast. Yeah. I, I think, you know, for a lot of parents, one of the difficulties right now is mo most families, the majority of families in America have two working parents. Mm -hmm. um, you're splitting all of the responsibilities at home. There's a tremendous amount of stress to get sports done and homework done and I just wonder what your advice is for parents who are trying so hard to do it all, to get it all done in one day. I look at the, some of the schedules of my friends with younger children and I, my mind is boggled how they do it all. I was happy yeah. just to be able to read with my daughter when I got off work. Yeah, no, yes. And, and we see that they're so invested and they're, we're putting together this plan and we're going to you know do special time and we're going to you know have this reward system. And then they're like, you know what? I only see my child for an hour on weekdays and yeah. then we, you know, we eat dinner, do homework and we go to bed. There's no, like how, there's no time for any of this. And like, yeah, that's, right. that's true. And so I think kind of what you just said is probably the most important thing is normalizing that. Not say we, we have to be that way or should be that way, but the fact that so many people are, and we're not alone as parents feeling overwhelmed that we're trying to do anything is an important piece. The other piece is, is, you know, giving ourselves as parents permission not to be perfect. It is very hard to make the decision to not do that extra activity, especially when kids want to. Yeah. Tell them, you know, telling parents, oh, yeah, just stop doing some of that is not particularly right. useful advice often. But saying you don't have to do those things. And if you and your family choose not to do them, yeah. or if you choose to put up with some defiant behavior, explosive behavior, because that's what life has done. You're not a bad person. You're not failing your child. It's a reasonable decision that you've made. So just giving parents permission not to be perfect in terms of fixing everything that's not going smoothly. There's a different category of kids that we talk about when kids start being violent. And that is like from probably the time kids start biting in daycare all the way to kids who beat up others in school. That one, you must have to take a different tack with kids who become physically aggressive. Yes, even in that group, they're, they're gradations and, and we should probably think about it in terms of at least two different groups. So one, kids being angry and aggressive towards their parents is not that unusual. Yeah. It's not good. We need to stop it, but it's not necessarily the sign of something problematic, especially younger kids who, who might hit or kick. Parents shouldn't automatically assume they're going to become violent. But then the other group are kids who are either very impulsive and so in the moment, their anger gets the best of them and they act out and they break things and they hurt people. And, and that can be very problematic, especially when they're older. Yeah. And then there are kids who have a streak to them where they're cruel and they purposely yeah. go out and hurt others. Um, and those are more challenging uh, to deal with. And what we try to work with parents is we need to make sure that you have a plan for what you're going to do 
no matter how severe your child's behavior gets, you need to have a plan for what you're going to do. I think that this is such an interesting thing. I want you to just go over those three key components of dealing with the explosive child, because it feels to me like breaking down each of those in your own unique family way is probably what gets you the best resolution, correct? Yes. Uh, our general goal is that we want people to learn these three steps, clear expectations, rewards, and consequences. Within each of those, there's sort of three basic ways we do that. And we want them to, as best as possible, understand the principle. Because another thing that we talk about with parents from the very beginning is hardly anything we are going to say today in our parent management, our behavior management group is new. You've heard mm -hmm. of this. Most parents do some sort of timeout or reward system. We are not teaching you to be good parents. What we're teaching them is how to be expert super nanny behavior managers. It is literally my job to tell parents how to do that. But myself and my wife will attest to this when I'm at home with my daughter, I'm a good parent, I think, but I'm not a good behavior manager. I, I get emotional. I cut corners. Uh, I react. I say things I immediately regret because I'm not going to follow through with them. And I get away with it most of the time because she's she has her challenges, but she's generally a cooperative kid. Our goal in the, is to help parents learn to be, at least for a short time, expert, very consistent, calm behavior managers. And we want them to learn the general principles because the way as to finally get back to answering your question, the way we implement them are really specific to our family and nobody's perfect. And we don't expect you to do it perfectly by the book. But if you understand in general what you're trying to do with special time, we're trying to give attention with consequences. We have to deliver them quickly without talking and reacting. Mm -hmm. And if you know the principle, you can continuously try to get closer to it as close as you need to, to be successful. And then you can allow yourself that level of of sloppiness as long as it's working. Have you outlined any of these um, strategies in your new book? So in the book, uh, Anxiety Coach Parents Guide to Treating Childhood Anxiety and OCD as the, as, tame, as the name suggests, we're focused on anxiety and OCD. And so we yeah. bring up explosive behavior, disruptive behavior and behavior management in a couple of ways. First, when we're first understanding what a child's experiencing, we wanna try to separate, is this anxiety or is this, defiance, general emotional explosiveness, because we manage those, handle those two things differently. Anxiety, you do exposure. Anger outbursts, you do behavior management. Oftentimes, as you mentioned earlier, they go together. When kids are anxious, they get angry and lack of cooperate. They don't cooperate. So sometimes we have to do behavior management first to get them cooperative before we can work on anxiety. I want you to just to um, talk about your book one more minute with both the title where people can find it and where they can find you because um, we have you listed at our website, but I would love to see you in that kind of realm where everyone was like, I'm going to buy this book just to deal with these types of behaviors. So the book is Anxiety Coach, A Parent's Guide to Treating Childhood Anxiety and OCD. And it's published by Mayo Clinic Press. It'll be available April 16th, 2024. Uh, and you can get it through Amazon or Mayo Clinic Press. And it focuses exclusively on anxiety disorders and OCD. So kind of understanding what is anxiety and OCD and trying to and assist parents to figure out if that describes what their child's experiencing. And then goes through the steps of how we use exposure therapy, help kids face their fears, learn through their own experience, that what they're afraid of is unlikely to happen and build their confidence. And then we wrap up with the third section where we kind of put all that together uh, and go through a step-by-step -step plan for 
each of the different anxiety disorders and how you can use exposure therapy to help your kids uh, build their confidence. Dr. Stephen Whiteside, it's been so wonderful to see you again. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me.